Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day and for your love and guidance. Thank you for the opportunity for us to assemble together in your presence, your children, to seek you and to, to grow in your word and your ways. That we be encouraged, Lord, and edified that we might go out and shine brighter as beacons of your light to a sick and dying world. We thank you, Lord, for, for showing us the importance of meeting together and uh, loving one another and learning to be disciples that the world will want what we have in you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and for your word today, the, the anointing that breaks every yoke. We thank you, Lord, for helping everyone who hears this message now and in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 10.36 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. We're familiar with that scripture. And we've learned that anything that's not of faith is sin. We call to a life of faith. God says, my righteous shall live by faith. So I would say it's an important thing. We've all been given the measure of faith. And we have to, just like all of the fruit of the Spirit, the character of the Holy Ghost, which is in us, the character of Christ himself, the mind of Christ, peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it's all fruit of the Spirit. Faith is an abiding fruit of the Spirit that now lives and dwells in us in our born-again spirit. And just like a physical muscle, these things have to be exercised and practiced and worked to grow and strengthen in our lives, don't they? Amen. The 11th chapter, just a few verses over, of Hebrews is what's known as the the great faith chapter, the hall of faith. Instead of hall of fame, they call it the hall of faith or the great faith chapter. And God lists a lot of the people from the old covenant and talks about how beautiful their faith was and how different they were with how they all believed God and He sets them here as examples for us. The sixth verse says, And without faith it's impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who seek Him, believe that He is, and that He's a reward of them that diligently seek Him, the King James would say. So, what we want to focus on here is the fact that it says that we, without faith, it's impossible to please Him, and whoever would draw near to Him must believe the good things that are true about Him. First of all, you have to believe that He is who He is, that He's God and you're not. He's the one true and living God and that He's a God of love and of light. Every good thing comes from Him. The point is that we get what we believe for. It 
It says here, if you want to draw near to Him, you have to believe that He exists. So if you want God, you have to believe for God, right? And it, it's the same way with everything that He has for His children that we have to believe for. Everything we've learned in the kingdom of God is in seed form. Everything. Our finances, our love, our time, our words, everything is as seed. And as we spend the things that He has put into our care as stewards, whether it's spending our time or spending our words by speaking them or anything else that we can think of, spending our money, it's all put out there in seed form. It's sown into whatever ground that we chose to sow it in, right? And we know that the law of sowing and reaping is going to be in existence until this world comes to an end. It's not going to end. So we can count on it. We can count on God. It's the system that He has in place to bring blessings and finances and relationships and peace, love, and joy, all the good things that we want multiplied in our lives. We can count on a harvest of the seed that we sow toward that. So we have to believe what we're sowing toward. There's an old saying that says, when you give to God, sow, don't throw. Some people just throw their 20 or their 50 or their 50 cents into the offering basket and just say, check, you know, like check mark, like I, I, I did my good deed. I was listening to a testimony of a guy yesterday, and he said he had been, uh, he was a Jewish, and, uh, and his girlfriend brought him to uh, Pentecostal church, and uh, he had already had an experience, an encounter, and uh, <laughs> he didn't like it. They were on the rocks. He was like, well, this probably isn't going to work with us, you know, if God doesn't change me. She took him to this Pentecostal church, and somebody came up, and, you know, he said, you know, you need to come forward and uh, receive a, a tongue, you know. <laughs> And he checked out. He took off, right? And a man came up to him in the hallway, followed him out and said, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And he's like, sure, you know. And he's like, well, he can pray for what, a minute or something like that. He said he prayed and prayed and prayed. And he, uh, when he was done, long story short, he said that, uh, where did you learn Hebrew? And the guy says, that was Hebrew? (laughs) So... In other words, he was praying in the spirit, and uh, and it and it uh, got the man's attention, and uh, he knew it was God, and he he received him. He, 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 but then he went home and told his parents, and they kicked him out because they were Jewish. And so then he's feeling sorry for himself, and the girl takes him to a she. He, she, he tells the, he calls the girl, and he thinks she's going to be sympathize with him and tell him, oh, I'm so sorry and all that. And she gets excited 
and says, oh, great, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. You're going to do this and that. So she takes him to another uh, another uh, charismatic church, spirit-filled church, and, uh, and he gets in there and the offering basket's coming by and he's, he's mad by now and he's like, this is a bunch of nonsense and I'm, I'm, you know, he's feeling sorry for himself. He takes out a $50 bill and he throws it in the offering basket. Here, take it all. You know, I've taken everything else. Go ahead and take it all. And he just throws his 50 in there and lets it slide on by. <laughs> but that's not, that's not, that's not sowing with faith, you know. That's throwing, not sowing. <laughs> God didn't let him get by. He wasn't done with him yet. He did get he did get saved, and the guy has a powerful ministry now. But uh, that just reminds me of somebody that probably not going to expect too much of a return on that fifty, you know, because we do get what we believe for, and even though we receive faith and we say we're walking in faith. And living a life of faith. Sometimes unbelief is playing the spiritual tug of war with the faith that we're believing for something. And uh, it can really hinder. It can really be detrimental. And I just want to look at that a little bit today. Go back to Second Kings chapter 7. Something I had on my, my heart here. Second Kings chapter 7. I'm just going to read this story to you. Because Samaria was under siege. And uh, the people of Samaria were, were starving. Bad things were happening. And it looked, uh, it looked really bad. I just want to read this story. In case you're not familiar with it or you haven't heard it in a while. Starting at the first verse. But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel. And two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And what he's saying is everything, they were starving to death. They were doing terrible things. They were having to eat uh, dung and, you know, huh? And their children. Things were, were really awful, okay? And it looked like it was the end for them. They had been under siege for a while. They had no food. They had no provisions. And Elisha, the prophet, comes before the king and he tells them that tomorrow, at this time, everything's going to be great. Food's going to be so plentiful, it's almost going to be free. Okay? That's what he's saying right there. So in case we don't know what a, a sea of barley or a shekel is, he's saying everything's going to be plentiful. Everybody's going to have enough, and everybody's going to have enough money for it because it's not going to hardly cost anything. Okay? Verse 2, Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned, God, the, the king's, the king's uh, second in command, so to speak, his... One of his top dogs, all right? The inner circle. The, the captain on whose, the, whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, in other words, he's, he's casting doubt and unbelief. 
on what the man of God has said. He said, even if God himself opened up the windows of heaven, he couldn't accomplish all this in a day. What you said is not going to happen. And, and God himself couldn't even make this happen. This is such a bad situation that it's too big even for God, basically, is what the man's saying. <clears throat> and here's what Elisha told him. But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. In other words, yeah, God can do it. And he's going to do it. And you're going to see it. But you're not going to partake. You're not going to benefit from it. So let's see what happens. Verse 3. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until, until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city, the famine is in the city. And we shall die there. If we sit here... We die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. I like these guys' attitude. What have we got to lose? Let's do something instead of nothing, you know? Even if you, you know, if you don't, if you're not doing anything where you're at, you know, and the other direction is closed off for you, it looks like it could be dangerous the other way. Well, hey, do something, you know, even... Let God uh, uh, make the course corrections. Get started on something. So let's go over to the camp of the Syrians. So what he's saying is we're we're lepers. We're supposed to be outside of the gates here. We're not allowed amongst the the people of the culture. It's against the law. If we go in there, we're going to die anyway. They'll, They'll put us to death. And there's nothing in there for us anyway. So let's go over to the enemy's camp. What have we got to lose? They've got, at least they have everything. And if they don't kill us, then they'll have to feed us. You know, basically it was their reasoning. So let's go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. In other words, we're going to die anyway. And there's a chance this time, this way that we may get fed. (laughs) So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, right before dawn. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So... God caused them to hear all the rumblings of a mighty army. And so they thought that Israel had got mercenaries from all these other kingdoms to come. And these huge armies were about to swamp them and overtake them. And they all heard it. This was God. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys. These guys were in a hurry. They didn't take anything. Leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we're silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. Yeah, let's, let's share this blessing 
abundance with, with our people. You know, they, they may not have had much time for us, but we need to do what's right, you know. This is a good point, you know. Hey, do what's right no matter what other people do. So they came and pulled and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking, when they come out of the city, we will take them alive and get into the city. Stinking thinking again. There you go, you know. Too good to be true, right? No matter you know, what would have changed his mind about this. What would have prevented him from talking like that? If he would have taken heed to the man of God and, and went and right away said, oh, you know what? We should have known. This is what the man of God declared would happen. But he didn't because he didn't highly esteem the things of God or the word of God. Anyway, so where was I? Verse 13. And one of his servants said, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left there, because they had eaten all the others, that see that those that are left there will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen and they went to test the waters, right? And the king sent them after the army of the Syrians saying go and see so they went after them as far as the Jordan and behold all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste and the messengers returned and told the king verse 16 then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians so you can imagine once they realize that it's real and that there's no danger and these, this starving people, they swamp the gate, right? They rush the gates to head out. And that's what it was. They were heading out, they were starving, and all the people at once stormed the gate. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now, the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned, the, the negative Nelly, remember? The one that he said would not see, he would see it, but he wouldn't benefit. And one whose the hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. So he'd put him in charge of the gate, so he was posted at the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate, so that he died, as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, Two seahs of barley shall be sold for a shekel, and a sea of fine flour for a shekel. About this time tomorrow, in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. So... I would say this is a very strong point made by God here in His Word about the negative effects of unbelief. This man, you might say, was trampled by unbelief and killed. And the influence of negative belief. Absolutely. 
So just as God said, and, and you know, there's nothing too big for God. God can change everything in an instant. And I mean, of course, looking around in the, in the natural, as a carnal person, like this captain did, and as the king himself actually did, you can look and say, this is an impossible situation. And you could calculate in your mind and with your reasoning all the possibilities and the ways and the things that could be done. And you could determine that even if everything that can be done were done, it wouldn't be enough. And that's what it looked like there, I'm sure. But they discounted God. God is not... God's ways are not our ways and God is a supernatural God. He's not natural like us. He can... There's nothing impossible with God. We learned that from the virgin birth. Amen? So this man was trampled by unbelief. So what should we do? We should remember that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we don't want our faith diluted or hindered by unbelief and doubt and negative talk or thinking. We just need to believe God. That's why Jesus said, unless you become as this little child. He wants us, you, you remember what it's like to be a little child when you still believe in Santa and you thought that your daddy was Superman? And some of you did. <laughs> anyway, I didn't have one. But I know the feeling, you know, I had others in my life that I looked up to and I just, the, the wonder in a child and the, the willingness to just believe for anything, no matter how big, you know. If you tell them you could lasso the moon and pull it down, they'll say, okay. Well, that's how we need to be about our God and the things that he can do. We shouldn't limit God by the things that we can see. That's what he's trying to show us and to instill in us. Because what he's saying is we're hindering him by our stinking thinking, by our small thinking. The, the children of God in the desert, the Hebrew people, after they were freed from bondage, in Psalm, I want to say Psalm 78, it says time and again, and only the King James reads like this, but it says they turned back and limited the Holy One. They limited God by their doubt and unbelief and their negative speaking. So we can limit God, but by our thinking. And you see how this applies like with this guy here? He didn't limit God's ability. He limited God in the sense that he limited what he could partake of from God because he had put God in a box. He put limitations on God and it but it wasn't, he didn't limit God for everybody else. He limited God for himself. You see it with Jesus so many times. You see one time, someone will say, if, if you will come, then this person will be healed. And Jesus would go, wouldn't he? Other times, they would believe that just with a word. The, sin, the Roman centurion, Jesus, said that he had great faith. He wasn't even one of the children of God. He said he hadn't seen such great faith because he said, you don't have to come to my house. I'm not worthy of that. Just say the word. 
And because that's what he believed, that's what he got. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. Ah. And just like George was expounding on earlier, <coughs> faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We need to be in church. We need to be hearing anointed messages. <coughs> we need to keep it ever before us. Because without the Word of God consistently feeding on it, <coughs> what do we pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Yeah, we need a, we need a loaf of bread. You know, we need a slab of bacon. God knows that, and He provides in the natural, doesn't He? But more than that, He's talking about, Jesus said, I've got food that y'all know nothing about. He's talking about the spiritual food, the Word of God, the fellowship with God, which strengthened Him <coughs> and provides for all of our needs. <coughs> Paul said physical exercise is some good, but spiritual is good for all things. So we need the word. We need to drink from the well continually and keep the word of God ever before us. And in our hearts and minds meditating on it so that our faith is strong and remains that way. We're supposed to go every day. That's what the picture in the wilderness when God calls the manna from heaven to rain down every day. It was daily, and if they tried to keep it overnight, it, it didn't last. It would be spoiled in the morning, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. <coughs> Except on the Sabbath, and it would last for two days then. But that was showing the importance of coming to God daily. Daily for that manner. Daily for that word. Daily for that direction, and guidance, and wisdom. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When we are offended, <coughs> it hinders our faith. Almost everyone is offended these days. And there was a time, I think, when people understood that that was wrong, that that was ugly, that that wasn't good, you know? Now... They teach people to be offended. I'm not... There aren't too many institutions of higher learning that I would encourage any of my people to send their children off to if they wanted them to return with faith. Because it seems like it's their goal to make sure if they show up with faith that they don't leave with it. There are some that are good, but for the most part, they're just wrong. They teach people how to be offended and why they should be offended and how to be bitter and angry and, and to live that way, you know, and to keep it going instead of living a life of love and faith in God. <clears throat> look over in Mark. We'll just look at this real quick. I think there's a good example in Mark chapter 4. <coughs> the parable of the sower 
since we were talking about everything being in seed form, who better to hear it from than Jesus himself? Jesus had been teaching by beside the sea the beginning of chapter 4. And a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat in it and on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. A farmer. <clears throat> and he sowed some seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, who has ears to hear, let them hear. <clears throat> Again, always talking about spiritual things with natural examples. You right? Yes. We know that the people there most likely had ears. But he's talking about spiritual hearing, a cultivated relationship in tune with God, prepared to hear God and to esteem the things of God. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said unto them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? <clears throat> this is why I tell people, unless when, when I see people that <clears throat> I'm so happy that I don't, to this point, don't take money from the church. Not because I don't think a, a preacher should. The, the Bible says that they should. But I can talk about money. I can talk about giving. And, and people aren't offended. Because people are so easily offended. And they always think there's a, a corrupt or ulterior motive. And I know there is. In the body of Christ. In many situations. In many places. So I get that. You know. We see corruption all throughout the body of Christ. But I'd rather be on a leaky boat than... Swimming alone in the ocean. Amen? Well, we're not corrupt here. Amen? But what Jesus is saying here, the importance of people understanding about their giving, about giving tithes and offerings, sowing into the kingdom of God and sowing with expectancy, by the way, is because everything is in seed form. And one thing people do understand is about their money. So Jesus talked about it a lot. Because he wanted people to understand that it's like that with everything that's in their care. Every gift and talent and all their words and everything is just like their money. Their dollars and cents. When they sow it, they need to sow into good ground. They need to sow expecting a return. <clears throat> and if he said, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand anything about the kingdom of God. 
That's why it's a basic, you know, when, when I see people that aren't giving and they have been walking with God for a while, and I'm like, what are they, where are they learning? What are they learning? What are they believing? Because I know so many people that say, well, we don't have enough money to give like y'all do. Or, you know, they'll say things like that. And I'm like, you don't understand anything. God isn't trying to get your money. He's trying to get money to you. That money that you say you don't have to give him is the seed that he requires to multiply money back to you. So you the more money, you want more money so that you can give to God. He's saying, give me the little you have and make, if you don't have enough to meet your need, make part of it your seed. And then wrap expectancy around that seed. Sow it into the kingdom of God and believe this principle, this law of sowing and reaping that I've told you about. <coughs> if you don't understand that, he says you're not going to understand anything else I'm teaching. That's why it's important for preachers to keep on preaching, to keep on teaching it to their people, even when their people are so carnal that they just think they want their money. And sometimes they might. If people really believe that, then they don't need to be there, you know. <clears throat> but they still need to, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because this is how God gets finances and everything else good to us. We have to sow good seed into good ground, wrap it around with expectancy and hope. We need to believe when we sow. Don't just throw it, sow it. Sow it into that ground and expect for believing for jobs and for better jobs and for raises and bonuses and benefits and sales and commissions and settlements and estates and anything else good that we can think of. We need interest and income and rebates and checks in the mail and gifts and pleasant surprises. Amen. We need to wrap our hope and expectancy around that seed. Hold it up to God and say, Amen. I'm sowing this into the kingdom of God, Lord. Use it. Multiply it into the kingdom. You're the God of multiplication. Multiply it into the kingdom and return a hundredfold seed to the sower. I'm believing, Lord. <coughs> I'm believing for checks in the mail. I'm believing for found money. I'm going to walk out in the parking lot and step on a hundred before I leave here today. Amen. I'm believing for all my bills to be paid off. I'm believing for debt to be canceled. I'm believing for my house to be paid off. I'm believing for cars to be paid off. I'm believing for medical bills to be canceled out. To be, for royalties to be received. My little book's on Amazon. And I, I've given away hundreds of them, you know. And I put it at a price where anybody can afford it. And I don't get much of a royalty. I think last year I claimed $78. <clears throat> as royalty. But I was proud of that. I thought that was awesome. But you know what? God, just like he turned the situation in Samaria around in an instant, next year I could get a $100,000 royalty check. Amen. Something supernatural could happen and God could cause that to happen. And I would be so happy because the word would be spreading and, and I would be benefiting as well. Amen. Amen. And I wouldn't turn it down. I'm never going to say, oh God, you've done enough for me. Because then it shows that I think it's for me. God is blessing me to be a blessing. If I'm the sprinkler, why would I ever want to tell him to shut it off? I've got enough water. 
let the lawn die because I think I've had enough water pass through me. How selfish. I'm believing. <laughs> believing for new building, church building, better building, bigger building. Or businesses and new businesses. Why? Because we're believing for all these things to be returned to us, for us to be a blessing, to finance God's end time harvest and to finance our own church and to finance our own families and ourselves. Amen. But we have to believe and expect good things from God because that's all He is, is good. And when we think negative things, who are we putting faith in? The enemy. And it's sad to me that Christians seem to have as much or more faith in what the devil can do as they do what their Father in Heaven can do, who is really the Mighty One and Powerful. And the devil, he doesn't have any authority or power except what God's children give him. So why do we continue to give it to him? In verse 17 there. Oh, did I finish that? <laughs> oh, no, I didn't. Actually, I didn't get to verse 17. Said, <clears throat> And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? You see that? So he's saying if you don't understand sowing and reaping, you're not going to understand anything. So he explains it to them. The sower sows the word, the word of God. What he's talking about in this particular case. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Immediately. You see that? So when you hear people, when you take friends to church and, and, they, and then they don't call you when they get home and, and you, they, everything goes silent and you're like, what's going on over there? And then, then later on, your girlfriend shares with you, well, we got a big old fight on the way home. Yeah, I know. I should have warned you about that. Your battle's not against flesh and blood, sweetie. That was the devil. That means you received something very valuable today. Something very valuable in the Word of God. Like George says, if you go into an anointed, hear an anointed message, you're going to get something from God, directly from God for you. <clears throat> and what happened is what you were witnessing was the devil himself had an assignment against you to come and steal that Word out of your heart before you could meditate on it. And let it take root and bear fruit in your life so that it would help you. And this time you let him win. But next time we're going to be a little stronger. We're becoming aware of his tactics. And you're not going to let that happen. Because you're going to protect the sanctity and the peace of your home and your family. That's your job, girl. And when the guy calls George and tells him the same thing. He's going to say, brother, you just fell for one of the devil's oldest tricks. But it's right there in the Word. I could have told you it was going to happen. Now here's what you do. You go re-examine that message. You go pick it up again. And this time you protect that Word. You meditate on it. You make it your own. You let it take root and bear fruit in your life. 
Because it's going to help you. And then you keep building it on. Building, growing in your discipleship, getting closer to the Lord, learning more about God's ways and also the tactics and schemes and tricks of the devil so that you prepare when you see them to fight against it. In Jesus' name. And you're pretty soon you're going to be as strong as horseradish and nothing's going to be able to steal from you again. <clears throat> Immediately he comes and takes away the word. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. See, it's always because of the word. And so, what's the Bible say? Those who desire to live a righteous life in Christ, you're going to be persecuted. And that's why when we have people that are new in Christ, that's why I, I, it's so sad to me that so many people, you see these big evangelists go out and they'll get 50,000 people saved in a stadium and then the people go off to their lives and business, they're like, that's it? And they become, they, they come under vicious attack by the devil and if they weren't prepared to go and be discipled and be cared for and covered and protected by a loving pastor and, and loving friends and Christians that could show them the ropes, then they're li liable to be to have that word stolen from their heart immediately. And then that devil's going to see that that house has been swept clean and he's going to go back with seven more demons worse than he was, you see. And the condition of that person can be worse than it was initially. So that's why it's important. I guess that's the theme of today, George. Just like we started talking when we first got here. And like you shared when you got up here. The importance of discipleship. Of hearing the word. Of staying in fellowship with other Christians. And to being in the right place. In an anointed place. That's another thing. We see so many dead religious settings. And people are confused and lost. And they're going through the motions. I was talking to a dear friend of mine that I grew up with yesterday and he just doesn't believe. And it's because he tried so hard. He studied everything. As a young boy, when we were growing up and he got disillusioned, he saw, he saw in Exodus, he saw the chapter that, that talks about, I think, Exodus 21, where, and he says, no, no good God could... could could write a chapter in his book about how to discipline your slaves, you know? I'm like, man, you don't get it. You, you need the Holy Spirit to help you understand these things. And the, the blank page between Malachi and Matthew means a great deal because the new covenant did change everything anyway. But Moses was trying to legislate within a corrupt culture. And so God was being merciful even then, but he didn't have much to work with. Nevertheless, without really being born again, just going to church and studying the logos here. So I told this guy, man, the, the word is not going to help you without the spirit of God to assist you in that. You need the Holy Ghost. And then there's a knowing there's. 
There's a comfort that will come through that. And some things you still won't understand, but you don't need to. You just know that God's got it and it's good. And one day you will understand some of the things that you don't understand now. But a lot of the things that hinder people and offend people about God will be resolved when they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when they really receive the Holy Ghost. Because then they have the mind of Christ to draw upon in their spirit. And I just it just breaks my heart to see people in that condition. And he's thankful. We're great friends. He, he's thankful that I continue to try and reach him. You know, I tell him I'm not going to ever stop praying for you and believing he is. Thank you. I really do appreciate that. But, you know, he just he's just not there. But people do get offended. Look in 17. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. These are people that they're trying. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. Those are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word of God, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. People get offended. That's the number one reason why people stop going to church, George. The number one reason. They get offended and people get offended at everything. The first church that I was a associate pastor in, there was a... There was a dear couple, and this woman, she fancied herself a preacher. And she thought that she would come into that little church, and, and, uh, and this pastor would let her do whatever she wanted and be whatever she decided she was going to be in the body of Christ. And we know that you don't give yourselves jobs or titles in the body of Christ. Those are not if you want it to be real, not if you want an anointing. Because what you are and what you are to be is written in heaven and it has to be uncovered and discovered and you can't call it what you want. But these people, I remember when we got we moved to a, a bigger church building, they bought all the chairs and everything for the, the church. I think they spent about 20 grand just on chairs. But right after the church, the chairs were all set up she came through there with her husband and she started telling this pastor where the his office was going to be, where the children's room was going to be, and this and that and the other. And he said, no, no, no. You do not get to say anything. And she got mad. And she basically took her ball and went home. I didn't even know what was going on. I just got a call that morning before church and... Uh, and it was her on the phone. And she said, do you still have the books? I said, I guess she had brought me a book or, or two to read, you know. Again, trying to tell me what I needed to study, you know. And I was, I still had them. Sure, I do. Bring them to me. I need them back. And I said, okay. <laughs> and uh, when I got there, I think they were waiting out in the parking lot. They took the, took the, took the books and stormed off and left. And you're like... I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I kind of was glad at the time <laughs> that I was just the associate pastor and I didn't have to deal with all that. But the truth is that 
And and you see that that person, she, her condition when she left there was bad. You know, that's not God. And that she had got. I don't know if she ever let God deal with that. I don't think so. The last time I saw them, they had been to another church and yet another. And you see, the problem with someone like that, no matter where they go, there they'll be. And she's the problem, and and that's that's always going to be it. People get offended over anything. And they find things to get it. And in a culture now that is teaching people to be offended instead of thankful. It's, it's really a dangerous time. And they need more people. We need more people teaching others how to live the Christian life. How to be thankful for what we have. Satan's plan is to steal the word of God from us. And people get mad over the... You know, there were discussions even here about the paint color, the this and that. And I'm like, nobody's even showing up to do anything. It wasn't y'all. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about within my own family. (laughs) And you complain about this and that. And and I don't mean to be pick on anyone in particular, but it's just, and I think people do it without even thinking. They complain, they get offended over everything. I've had people tell me, you know, you need to have a church over here. You need to get a church over here. And then and then we'll go, okay, I got a church over there. Okay, they still don't come. You know? Oh, I'll wait till you get it fixed up a little bit better and it'll be nicer and then we'll come. Then they didn't. Excuses are just that. And everybody seems to have one. People get offended over everything, and what it is is Satan is out to steal the word. And we need to be aware of that. Because when we're aware of somebody's tactics, it makes it easier to defend against it. Just like a, you know, in football. They're up there. They're, they're, they're up there watching. They're trying to get a scheme, a, a plan. They're trying to figure out a pattern of that other team's plan against them. The plan of attack. If they could figure out, if they ever know, the next play, they're going to run this. This guy, the, the running back's going to get the ball and he's going to come around the left side. If they knew that, he would never get a yard, would he? Right. So, the same thing. When we're aware of the enemy's tactics, when you know that he's going to try to steal the word every week from you when you leave church, sometimes when somebody tries to give you grief and you have this on your heart and mind, instead of responding in kind... Or being ugly too, or whatever, letting it get under your skin, you might just go, <laughs> uh-uh. because you're fighting a spiritual battle now. You realize that flesh and blood is not my enemy; it's the devil, and I feel sorry for them because they're still letting enemy influence them. But I'm not going to let him get me. You see, when a ship or a boat sinks out in the ocean, it's never because of all the water raging around it; it's because of the water that gets inside. We don't need to let it get inside. The storms of life can rage all around us. But when things go south, we don't need to go with them. Amen. All that's needed for spiritual growth and victory over Satan is a sower, a minister, the seed, the word of God. And the ground, the hearer's heart. Everything else should be treated as a blessing from God, not as an opportunity for offense. 
<laughs> the music, the the drapes, the paint, the chairs, the signs, the AC. <laughs> All nice things to have, but we need to keep a better perspective. If we have the word, someone to sow the word and the word itself and we have a heart that's prepared to receive it, then we are fully equipped to become more powerful citizens of the kingdom of God. Everything else is just a blessing and we need to see it as such. Who knows what God has in store for us? But we know it's good. We know it's going to make us better. We know it's better if He makes the plan than if than we do. And even better if He puts His plans in our heart and we agree so that we can walk together. Amen. Amen. We want God to give us the desires of our heart and that those desires be His desires that He's placed in our hearts so that we can walk in agreement. Tavana and I were talking about it this morning. I talk to people, it seems like I have a huge ministry online or on the phone. And that's fine with me, whatever God wants. But I always tell people what God said. I always give people good advice because I don't give advice on my own. I think Brother George, who's, who knows me pretty well, can attest to that. I'd rather sit there and look dumb and say nothing instead of say something that just just to say something. But when I hear God, I'm not shy about it. And I know full well that if that advice is taken, it's going to help. It's going to fix things. And that's why I tell people, the moment you agree with God, things get better. The moment and when people come to me with the same issue or it got worse or it didn't go away and I say, well, did you do this? No, not yet. Ah, all right. Well, that's the last time I'm going to mention that to you until you tell me you did it. I don't have time. I don't have time for that. I see people dying all around me all the time. And I go to their funerals instead of their home goings. And I hear people get up there and talk and say they're in a better place and all this other nonsense. And I'm sitting there going, what, what would make you think that? I don't say that, of course. I would never do that to someone. But there was no evidence. I had someone tell me one time they wanted me to come and do a funeral. And it's about the time that God started teaching me that I can say no sometimes. And I asked if they had a relationship with the Lord. And, and oh yeah, you know. I heard him say, thank God a couple times. You know. I'm like, what? Are you serious? It's just like saying, oh my God. People get offended over everything. I'm going to finish here, but I want to mention, I want to mention one other thing, and then I'll be done. In the book of Acts, 
chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Verses 19 and 20 are the ones that I'm looking at. Talking about Peter. <laughs> Missing that. <laughs> there were some wonderful things going on in the early church. In those days, Peter had just stood up and preached a powerful message the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 were added to the church. And in the days to follow, Peter and John were going to the, the temple at 9 o'clock in the morning to pray, and that's when they healed the the lame beggar. He told him, silver and gold, I don't have any easy, but what I do have, I'll give you. Stand up in the name of Jesus and walk. And he did. And preacher, Peter had just speak, been speaking again in a place called Solomon's Portico. And he's telling people what happened with Jesus once again and how he had been raised from the dead and how they in ignorance had killed the Lord. He said, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, verse 17 of chapter 3, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. In other words, God is being merciful here. He's, he's got his newly appointed heads of the church, this newly formed church, the body of Christ, preaching the gospel. And he's out there talking to all the people who had just killed the Lord. And he's telling them, listen, we know you did it in ignorance. Doesn't matter who you were. If you're the leader in charge of it or you're just the people that went along with it, we know what you did. But now, listen, repent. <laughs> it doesn't matter as long as... That's, that's why I never understood why people... I talked about this last week, why people hate Christians so... Because we, we don't condemn anyone to hell. I, I guess there are Christians out there that do that to people, you know. And they're not really living as Christians. But we hate sin and we love the sinner. And I think without the Holy Spirit, you really don't really know how to do that. So I think a lot of Christians are in dead settings, in dead denominations and environments. Just being truthful. And they really don't even know what it means to separate the sin from the sinner. But we do. And we know that we don't have to call that thing which is evil good. And we know that when they identify as that sin, that they're wrong and they're deceived. And we still love them and we pray for them and we want them to be saved just as God does. But the times that we live in are coming to a close. And it's never been more evident. As you read through the New Covenant, you, you see the instructions given in Timothy and in other places in the Word. And it describes the times to a T that we're living in. Of course, no one knows the hour of the day, but we can tell that it's closer now than, than it's ever been. 
And Peter says, repent therefore, verse 19, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Praise God. Verse 20, that the times, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham and In your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Repent, he said. Repent so that, or therefore, repent therefore and turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. First of all, without repentance, there is no forgiveness of sins. And it seems like we have a church these days, a good portion of what calls itself the church, that is teaching grace in in such error that it's just exactly what Jude wrote about in his one-page book of the Bible back in the back. He wanted to write to us about the salvation we all share. But he said, I can't. I have to talk to you about this. People have crept into the church. Wicked people. (coughs) Who have turned the grace of God into a license to sin. He talked about their end, which is not good. But God has a time for everything. And he has a plan for the end of this church age, this age of grace and truth that is the time, the last time or the last era of God before the end of this world as we know it. That is from the day of Pentecost to the end, till Jesus comes back. That's the church age, the age of grace and truth. And to end this age... There are things are set in motion. There has to be repentance for sin so that there is forgiveness of sins. Once that's established, then something we can count on from God are times of refreshing. God is good and He wants to bless us. He wants us to receive from Him. He has provided everything by grace that we will ever need for this life. And He wants us to believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him and that He really will do all these wonderful things that His promises say He will do. And that He will do them for you. That you are no different. If you think the moment you think that you are different, 
or less than anyone else in the body of Christ, then you have slipped into legalism because you think it has something to do with your behavior when it doesn't. Now, there are lots of reasons not to sin. We don't want to open doors for the devil. We don't want to hurt the reputation of our Lord and Savior. And it's just not who we are anymore. But our good behavior doesn't do anything to make God love us more. He loves us because we chose Jesus Christ and placed in His hands our eternal future. And that's why God will do anything for you that you ask Him to do that's according to His will. He's assigned angels to encamp around about you, to lead you, to protect you, to assist you in the plan that He wrote for you before you were ever born. But we have to repent of our sins and then we can expect times of refreshing, good things from God. That these times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that He may send the Christ appointed Jesus whom heaven must receive. So heaven has to, has to provide and to keep Jesus there until these times are fulfilled whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So Jesus will return and he will restore all things. And there will be a new kingdom set up here on earth. And we'll rule and reign with him for a thousand years here in peace, won't we? We need to be excited about the things of God. We need to esteem highly the things of God. We need to meditate on the word of God. The promises of God concerning us. And we need to sow every seed. Whether it's financial. Or time. Or gifts and talents and abilities. Or love. We need to sow all of these into good ground. With expectancy of a return. Of a hundredfold return in our lives. That we may prosper in every way and continue to be a blessing to others around us. We need to receive the help, the healing, the empowerment, the love and prosperity that God has for us. So that we can in turn help others with the help that we ourselves have received from God. Amen. You hear him today? Yes. He loves you. You love him too? That's why we love him, because he first loved us. Lord, thank you for loving us the way that you do, for teaching us, for growing us, empowering us. Help us to see the things that you have in store for us. Help us lift the veil, Lord, and help us to see the plans that you have written for each of us, Lord, that we might pursue the dreams and the goals that you have established for us. Place your desires in our heart, Lord, that we may run after them with enthusiasm and not be hindered by unbelief or doubt, Lord, but always confident in faith 
that we serve a mighty God and a loving God and a faithful God. And we thank you, Lord, for loving us and keeping us the way you do. Help us to go and be a blessing to others. Help us to populate the kingdom of God and to draw others unto you and to help them as we have been helped. In Jesus' name, amen.